In uncertain times, people turn to uncertain means. And in his new book, Take a Deep Breath, Living with Uncertainty, Igor Goldkind is sharing a book of poetry, of art, of fables and philosophies aimed at the pandemic of crisis anxiety that so many of us are facing right now, both in our daily lives and in our inner spaces. We're all in this together, and this book is such a reminder of the power that we have as a collective, and we can really come together as a community to help one another with this uncertainty and this anxiety. And Igor is joining me today on the Power to Pivot podcast. We're going to talk about his book and his poetry, and I'm so excited to share this with you. I hope you'll take a listen. Thanks so much for joining me today. I'm your host, Elizabeth Miles, founder of March 4th Media Company, and this is the Power to Pivot podcast. It's time to pivot. Self-awareness, mindset, action. It is guided self-help with the Prosperity Sisters. I'm talking about the new book, Passion, Purpose, and Profits, an interactive guide to figuring out what the heck you want out of life, written by the Prosperity Sisters, Courtney Hunt and Emily Shire. If you are tired of feeling stuck in your career, this is the book to read right now. And if you are struggling every day, knowing that there's more out there for you and you're just not quite sure how to get it, this is the book for you too. It is filled with nuggets of gold, almost literally, as it helps you get crystal clear on the things that you want in life while giving you useful tools and tips to create a plan of action to get it. It's a really fun guide. It has a great mix of journaling prompt and action steps to help you packaged in a really fun and easy to read book. And you know, here on the Power to Pivot podcast, we are always talking about embracing your power to pivot. And this book, Passion, Purpose, and Profits, an interactive guide to figuring out what the heck you want out of life is a great place to start. So head on over to amazon.com now and order your copy of Passion, Purpose, and Profits, an interactive guide to figuring out what the heck you want out of life, written by the Prosperity Sisters, Courtney Hunt and Emily Shire. Are you ready? It is time to pivot. Welcome to the Power to Pivot podcast. I'm your host, Elizabeth Miles, founder of March 4th Media Company, and this is the podcast where we share inspiring stories, resources, tips, and fun ideas to help you pivot to new ideas, new goals, and new dreams for your life. I'm so excited and honored to have you join me on the journey, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Hey guys, thanks so much for joining me on another episode of the Power to Pivot podcast. I'm so excited for tonight's episode. I'm talking with author Igor Goldkind. He just wrote the book, Take a Deep Breath, Living with Uncertainty. Igor, how are you? I'm doing great. I'm, uh, well, uh, I think I am. I'm a little uncertain. You're a little uncertain. (laughs) Well, (laughs) hopefully we can help you with that, right? Maybe it's time to pivot. Um, hopefully, Hopefully I can help you with that. There you go. Um, Tell us how you came to write this. First of all, I need to step back for a second. This book is absolutely beautiful. I was so excited to go through it. It is a book of poetry, um, fables. It's not like your traditional novel. Um, 
it's so beautifully written and I just want to say that there's so much emotion on every page uh it it really is an amazing read so con first congratulations well thank you very much you're very, you're very flattering you're off to a good start here <laughs> yay <laughs> um how did you come to write this book well that's a that's a good starting point because um um there, this this book was an accident. I originally had a book. I, I had a second collection. My first book was called Is She Available, which had a lot to do. It was written during the two years I had to uh, care for my uh, uh, severely demented mother and see her out. And I wrote while the book while that was happening. And it was planned. It was a little more planned. Uh, you know, I had an advance from a publisher. Everything was ready to go. And then um, I had a follow up for it uh, for about three years later. Uh, which is a collection of the work I've been writing. And originally the title was The Unspoken Word. And the publisher was very excited about it. And it was going to accompany a lot of a live performance. I was going to, I had since the first book, between the first book and the second book, in promoting the first book, I developed a, I, I hope, a talent, a flair for spoken word, for performing my work. And so um, I had written a lot of things during this period and then thought it's ready for another book to accompany my spoken word performances. And suddenly, and then the pen, and this was in January and May last year was going to be the publication date. And then things began to shut down. So I toured, the publisher had organized a tour for a signing tour, both in LA and in Europe and in England, uh, where I'm a little bit better known than in America. And um, it all got canceled. Everything oh got shut down. So I found myself with the manuscript and this crisis. And, um, I noticed that my friends were taking it pretty bad. I'm talking about last April, about a year ago. Mm -hmm. And people were really nervous. And especially the friends I had who had routines, you know, like where the teachers or professors, they had a regular routine they went through every day. And suddenly all of them had that rug pulled out from under them. Yeah, They no longer had the familiar routines that kind of define our lives day to day and keep us from wondering why we exist. And so... So suddenly I noticed my friends were freaking out and I started to write about that. And I started to observe what was happening around me. And initially I wanted to help people because I, I understood what the anxiety was about. It, the, you know, the, 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 the head of the uh, Moderna trial, which I had volunteered for also back in April, he told me that there were two pandemics. He said, there's the viral pandemic and that's actually killing people. And then there's the mental meltdown that's happening because of, because of the pandemic and because of the lockdowns, a lot of people express that as anger against the restrictions, but it's, it's a, a mass psychological state that people are, are going through a rough time. We're all going through each in our own little way. And I realized that nobody was really addressing that. So I began to write poems as remedies, poems that I was reading, composing for myself to reassure myself that that, that I would survive, that this was a transition, that this was the cost of an adaptation. Our species was adapting to its environment, which is what we've been done, doing since the beginning of, of our being a species, is adapting. There are two things we do, we're very good at where we survive. One of them is adapting, and the other is immigrating. We've been immigrating since the very beginning. And you know, I, I often say, look, you know, if it wasn't for immigration, we, we would still be dodging lions in Africa. Right. You know, we, we've been on the move as a species from the very beginning, and we're still on the move. And, 
you know, if you don't like it, well, move to a different planet. That's right. just, you know, right. it's just the way it is. <laughs> Illustrators and, and I, I, and my first book, uh, artists were given a budget and allowed to interpret any piece they wanted. And then that would be submitted. This case, I tried the same, but nobody was, was working on time. I got like one or two illustrations and it was like pulling teeth. Uh, and so my designer at the time, his old friend of mine from the comics industry, Ryan Hughes, began to make placeholders for where the illustrations were going to go. So he had to read my thing out of context and go, okay, I know what kind of image would go with that. I'll do that. I'll do that. I'll do that. And I began to like his placeholders better than the artwork that I was pulling my hair trying to get. And so I decided to, just to go with Ryan and, and I put... I retitled the book, the collection, uh, uh, Take a Deep Breath, uh, Living with Uncertainty, as a book of prescriptions, as remedies for living with uncertainty. And Ryan, Ryan Hughes, is the, he's almost the co-author. He's the visual author of the right. book. Um, and, you know, the way nature works, uh, evolution works, is you, you know, begin with a core, then nature kind of wraps another ring around it. You know, that's how growth happens in evolution. You know, spe you know, species change like that, gradual change, like the rings of a tree. So Ryan kind of added this ring in terms of his interpretation. And now there's a wonderful musician by the name of Jair Rome Parker Wells, who's a, a, a bass player uh, and a stick player. He's been going as long as I have. You know, he's, he's, he's not, he's ancient timer, but like me, but, but the point is, I mean, he used to play with Anthony Brex. The point is, he's an artist. You know, he's a composer and he read my work. He sought me out. He read my work and he said, this is a fantastic. I want to do something here. And we started collaborating back in December of last year. And over several months, he composed an entire theme score for Whoa, my book, which is amazing. going to be that's going to be the audio book. The audio book will not be just me reading. It will be me and his his interpretation, his musical ring around Ryan's ring. And, and now I'm meeting other musicians who want to get involved. There's a producer who wants to produce an album in Stockholm. There's the audio book that I'm very keen to make a different kind of audio book. And, uh, and obviously there's my book and then, I don't know, maybe a ballet next. Who knows? I love who that knows? you're so open to the process and letting this unfold as it is, it, the world needs it to. Tell me, as you go back mm -hmm. and you are watching everyone around you deal with all this uncertainty what's going through your mind now the book i, I get uh, the writing process for you was was a way to help people and and yourself what but what was in your head like were you afraid where did you find yourself as the rug got pulled out from everybody um you mean for myself in my own life or or, or yeah about writing it while i was writing it for your well, life well my look my my i'm a i'm a deeply elizabeth i'm a deeply flawed individual uh, you know, I have real, real, you know, like everybody. And and the way I work through my flaws and my things is to become self-aware, self-conscious of what I'm doing. I try not to judge. It's very difficult. But the more the more you judge yourself, the less accurate you are. So yeah, I try to keep true. that neutral observation and account for what I see going on around me and what I feel about what's going on around me. Because the, the chances are that if I feel something strongly and passionately as a response to, to an event that we're all that, that 
that there may be a few thousand, maybe a few million other people that do too. Mm -hmm. And so I, I'm trying to connect with people on an emotional level, on an, an emotional plane, because that's where reality is, you know? I, ideas can lie. You can say something that's not true, but emotions are always true. If you feel angry, you may not have just cause to be angry, but you're definitely angry. That's true. <laughs> you know? The, thing, the yeah. question that I like to ask when that happens is what is this bringing up in me and where does it come from? Because from that place of self-awareness, you're right, you know, the anger is real, but the situation may depend very much on what we're telling ourselves in the moment other factors that we have no control over whatsoever you know th yes the emotion's real but i think it's mm -hmm. so important it, you know especially we talk a lot on this podcast it's the power to pivot podcast right so at any given moment you can pick a new choice whether that be something a new thought you know you want to change uh career you want to change I, just to be you yeah. know i, I found I'm sorry, I, I don't mean to interrupt you, but I, I really need to respond to that because I disagree with you. Okay. And 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 the reason is is because yeah, to a level you're 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 true. A you know, the existentialist told us last century that we are defined, our identities are defined by the choices we make. But there's been a very kind of Calvinist spin on that. There's been this kind of thing, this you know what the who the Calvinists were, right? Mm -hmm. You know, the Calvin, right. So so there's this kind of like, well, that means anything that happens to you is really kind of your fault, really. And, and that you could choose. So, so I, I think that there's kind of a libertarian Calvinist, you know, you assume responsibility for everything because you made the choices that got you to where you are. And I think some people don't have choices. In fact, I know people who don't have choices. So I think the idea of approaching the world in terms of defining people by the choices they made works for the people who can afford to make choices, and many can. So that's the, that's the reason I disagree with you. I, you know, what would we say that 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 the the you know to be extreme about this? Would we say that the inmates the inmates of Auschwitz had made the wrong choices? True. So um, I'm sorry. I didn't. I, I'm not trying to debate you. I just felt that that point. You know, I because I agree with you in, in existential terms, but. I think it's been misused. I think it's become a contemporary kind of blame the poor for being poor, blame, you know, you know, blame uh, uh, the victim for the crime. And I, I really try to shy away from that. Well, I would almost challenge that back a little bit because I'm not ahead, saying that please. that situation is, it's not the situation as much as you, because I grew up in a poor family you know, I've grown right. I'm still going through situations, you know, spent right. 20 years in an abusive marriage. It's more the fact that I had to come to a point, as many of us do, where I don't have to live in the fear. And maybe the situation, because I'll tell you, I came to this realization hiking a mountain, right? I finally heard the way fear was showing up for me in my life. It still took me six to eight months before I was out of the situation that I was in. But instead of focusing on the junk of it, the mess of it, how bad the situation was. I hear what you're saying. Yeah. I knew yeah. I could, I could focus and in the moment when I was hiking this mountain, if I could just think of another thought other than how scared I was 
to actually mm -hmm. be hiking and climbing this mountain. As soon as I made that decision to look at something else, things changed. And I started to apply that in other areas. Do I say that I'm responsible for every bad thing that's happened to me? No. Of course not. Yeah. But I am responsible for how I show up. And how you respond. You're responsible for how you react yes. and what you do. And I agree that with you is there. where yeah. the choice is. And and honestly, I'm not saying that making a new choice is going to lead to all of the answers. You know, just because I decide to look in a different direction or, you know, in the moment change my thoughts that suddenly magically everything's okay in life. I'm, I'm sorry, I've got to close my window. There's somebody uh, trimming trees outside. Uh, of course they're with you. I don't know if you want to pause it. <laughs> Pause it for a second because I want to respond to what you touched upon two two very important things. I think you said something very important there. But and and the first thing that you said that I'll come back to, secondly, was what you touched upon your abusive marriage. Because I, I really do feel that there is an element to my book, which and my, my first two books, both books, which has to do with trying to redefine how men relate to the women in their lives. And uh, and how men have to learn how to recognize their behavior before they exhibit it. And oh, it's a- That's which, a big topic. We could have a whole episode just on that. Well, let me, let, let <laughs> me share with you how I approach that because I, to a woman, but in, in my, you know, I, I've been emotionally abusive. I, I've done things that, that I regret doing and I didn't really understand how I was part of the problem until more and more women began talking about the things that really severe abusers have done. And I began to recognize a little familiarity in orientation. And I thought, actually, there are times that I've, and then I got this flood of memories. And so right now I'm trying to write through that by redefining what men need to do in order to treat women better. You know, apart from not just not killing them, just not killing them would be a good start. That would be but, a beautiful you know, start. That's a good uh, beginning, but but what what how this ties into your point about choice is that I believe very strongly now that that we we have we our our cognitive architecture has been altered deliberately. That there was a time maybe about two hundred years ago, a hundred years ago, maybe somewhere somewhere where kind of mass advertising and mass media really began to grip everyone's attention. And prior to that, there was a sense of thinking of cognition that had to do with the idea, you know, T.S. Eliot's between the idea and the reality follows the shadow. Well, the shadow is what is vital because the shadow is where intent is formed, right? So before you act, you have an idea, you have an emotion, you have an, you know, it gives you an idea or the emotion, the idea gives you the emotion and you think, hey, somebody's attacked me or whatever. And then there's the action, which is to kill them or, or strike or run away. But there used to be this pause where you would just a beat, just a nanosecond of a beat in which you began to reflect in an instant. If I make this idea an action, what will the consequence be? Mm -hmm. And that beat, you know, is, is missing. It is so missing in the people I'm observing pulling triggers, both wearing uniforms and not. They're, they're doing things without that moment of reflection. And I think that it's intentional, it's intended. And I think it's because 
people who think about what they're doing before they do it are less likely to buy things. Yep, you're right. They're less likely to keep buying things in quantities. They won't buy the excess of what they need. And our consumer capitalist engine, and I, you know, I'm, I'm not a communist, but I know what capitalism is and I know what consumer capitalism is. And consumer capitalism is, is, a, is an engine that's out of control because it, it can only subsist if people keep buying stuff, mm-hmm. buying stuff and throwing it away. And that's the engine that is really driving everything from climate change down to men who abuse women because they don't think about what they're going to do or the consequence of what they're going to do before they act. Because they're on impulse drive, like Star Trek. They're on impulse drive. And this is this is the problem we've got in America right now. And that's this is the problem, by the way, that I feel that poetry can solve, believe it or not. So we have a lot to un- to talk about <laughs> um go right ahead so you know i agree that if we just had that pause and it really doesn't matter if we're talking about the impulse buy at the store or you know mm. the argument with the spouse mm. um if it's getting to that point though where you do have that awareness of those triggers and and i can say that the more you go inward and do that work of what is this bringing up in me what am i feeling and where does this come from and questioning it that voice like it's almost like you get to a point where you're so i mean i have yet to get to that point where i'm i'm good at the pause um well, it doesn't matter. Nobody's good at it. It's something you work on. <laughs> it's definitely it's a, you have to work on. You want you know? to talk about a mindset practice and, and just a practice in general. It is that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's start like you have to start somewhere to get there. And, and it's it's a different it's a different acceptance. Like you don't have to fix right away. You don't have to change right away. You can just sit with that. And I think it it's uncomfortable for a lot of people, Be, you know, for someone who's a fixer, like I have been an M, you know, I mm. want to jump in and I want to change the situation. It makes me uncomfortable. I know the other person's uncomfortable. That pause is not, um, it's not innate at all. <laughs> so it is something that I have to train. So where would you tell someone to start? I, I, I Where I started and I started even just a couple of days ago. I keep starting, mm-hmm. you know, it's a beginner's mind is a good, a good thing to cultivate. I like we're, that. We're, we live in such a competitive society socially. The norms are so competitive. Who's winning? Who's ahead? And all that. And, and really, you don't really learn anything unless you're willing to accept that you're a beginner. And that means oh, some, in terms that. of your own life as well, in terms of what you learn in your own life. Now, I, I just moved to this gorgeous place, a wonderful place. I'm living in San Diego now. I'm, I'm very happy. And, and it's a creative place, a garden and, and all that. But um, I hadn't seen my, my, my roommate for some 40 years. Um, well, we had met for drinks occasionally over the years. So um, I had to use his shower. The shower in my part of the house wasn't working. And I walked up to use his shower when he wasn't there. And I looked around his room for the first time, trying to maybe not, go, you know, not snoop, but kind of get a better feeling of who he is now. And I noticed a copy of the I Ching. Mm. And so I decided to play a game with myself and open it randomly. And if you're familiar with the I Ching, you know that it can, it's, it's, it's mistaken as a form of divination with either yarrow sticks, the original 
or coins, and you throw them, and they correspond to a, a pictogram, a series of unbroken and broken lines. So I just opened it. So instead of throwing sticks or coins, I just opened it randomly. But I thought about it. I, I prepared my mind to open up to whatever randomly came to me. And what came to me was the figure 13, which I believe is pronounced Shen Li. And it is, it is uh, heaven over fire or fellowship, Oof. fraternity. And it, it, so I started reading this, you know, uh, with a towel wrapped around me, waiting to go into the shower. But no, this got my attention. And I begin to read it. I begin to realize that it's an instruction for how to relate to other people. And I went, whoa. So I'm going to tell you, it's beyond the golden rule. You know, the golden rule, do unto others. This goes beyond that. And this, this kind of defines the, the interference that people have is that we get fixated on each other's negativity. We get fixated on the parts of others that we don't really like, mainly because obviously other mysticism would teach you that that's a reflection of yourself, you're recognizing yourself. But in this point, he, it's a, it's a, this is offering, the I Ching is offering a practical way, you know, like an app to relate better to people. And this is what it says. It says what you have to do, I'm paraphrasing, what you have to do is ignore the other person's ego. Just ignore all their crap. Don't don't deflect it. Don't 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 confront it. Just let them be that and ignore it. And instead of responding to their negativity or their their neurosis or their egotism or whatever is bothering them, speak to their higher self. Treat them as if they were better than what mm. they're doing. Oof, I have chills as I hear that. Um, wow. Isn't I think, that amazing? Isn't that an amazing idea? And, and it goes on because it says not only does that liberate, not only does, and, and it doesn't happen instantly, you know, it doesn't happen instantly, but if you keep focusing on talking to that person as you know them to be better than what they're doing, eventually they're going to fall into that higher self and that higher self is going to bring your higher self up out of you so it becomes this upward spiral of of compassion and empathy and beneficence in the in the worst kind of situation all you have to do is stop responding to the bullshit stop acknowledging it so you want to talk about making another choice <laughs> there's yeah, one yeah, right yeah. there you want to talk about a pivot right there um in in practice sake for practice sake though what do you say to yourself in those moments when that other person is bugging the crap out of you and like hitting all the right buttons? You know what I mean? Yeah, you got to pause, but if you're going to see them in a different light and see that, like, ignore their bullshit. I walk away a lot more than I used to. Okay. I, Let, I used let's to, talk I, about that. Yeah, I used to, uh, you know, I, I have what in California would be called management issues you know anger management issues um i don't that because something justifies your anger anger is a legitimate emotion um mm -hmm. but what i do now is if i find that there is no if my emotion of anger is going to overwhelm my being able to let this person just melt down and not respond then i will walk away i'll just say well i can't talk right now 
I won't make it about them. I'll just say, I got to leave. I got now, this is uncomfortable. I'll say, this is uncomfortable. Let's talk again. And, and then I'll, I'll move, remove myself rather than get, be pulled down by their so-called lower self. I mean, I don't believe lower, upper, you know, it sounds like a class system, but let's say they're more regretted, the, the behaviors and emotions they're going to regret as opposed to the ones that they're going to be proud of. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I, I, if I can't, if I'm gonna be pulled down, that's gonna, see, that's gonna pull my lower self into the equation. And my, my reactive and non-thoughtful and unmindful idea. So it's about clearing. I mean, I'm so anti-religious, Elizabeth, but the one thing that all religions share is that to really achieve change and self-transformation and self-overcoming, you have to relinquish the parts of yourself that are standing in your way. Mm-hmm. You have to get out of your own way, to quote John Kabat-Zinn. You've got to actually remove, not add, not strive hard, not work harder, work less, be less than you are. So counterintuitive, right, to what we're taught today, that you have to go, 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 work hard, work hard, work hard, push, push, push. It's that's, it's a mindset shift that I, um, I, it's, I'm working on it. Um, I like it a lot better, but I'd be lying if I said it was easy. (laughs) It's of course, what is? You Elizabeth, know. what is easy? What what worthwhile is easy? Come yeah. on, yeah. our lot. We're talking about our lives. Yeah. We're talking about you getting yourself out of a dangerous situation, and you achieve that. You achieve that. So it doesn't matter how you got there or how long it took you. That doesn't matter. You got the result. You took control of your life and you got out. Mm-hmm. And what? and you're in a minority. And you're in a minority. That, well, my goal is that you know, well, lots of different goals, but that, you know, more people are aware that it's okay to, because I know the reasons why I was scared to leave. I know all the things that I told myself and looking back, I could go, what were you thinking? But that would be no, you can't look back and go, what were you thinking? I can learn from it and move on. If I sit and look backwards, we're not going anywhere. Um, And so, you know, it's about just about forward thinking. And I love that you said, get out of your own way. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, that's John Kabat-Zinn. He wrote well, a book. Thanks for the quote. <laughs> um, but you're right. We make it so hard. We make it so hard for ourselves. I no, think- I'm sorry. He wrote a book called Everywhere You Go, There You Are. And it's aphorisms. And one of them is, do you know John Kabat-Zinn? Your listeners, really, I can't be more prescriptive. I, I really admire the man. He's a microbiologist at uh, MIT. And uh, if you don't mind, I'll tell you a quick story about him. I think you find it interesting. He, he, um, you know, he's especially of molecular biology, and he uh, he was also a lifelong Buddhist, and uh, you know, a really smart guy. And uh, his wife uh, had a brother who got um, severely injured, near fatally, in a, an automobile accident. In fact, his uh, brother-in-law lost both of his legs. So his brother-in-law fell into a deep depression. And uh, his wife asked him, he asked John Kabat-Zinn if he would go talk to his brother because she knew that he had ways of dealing with pain and anguish. And so he went and talked to his brother and he suggested some meditation techniques and some ways of which a focus. And the brother, his brother told him to fuck off. Get, get out of here with that hippie crap. Don't get, just get away, get away with, you know, I don't want to, I don't need that. I'm suffering here. You don't know what, you don't know what I need. 
So he went away and, but he talked to his wife again and he, he thought about it. And then a period of time passed and he went and visited his brother-in-law again, who was now in a recuperation hospital. And he said, look, I'm really sorry about boring you with all that Buddhist Terry, you know, spacey stuff, space age stuff. But you know, we're doing this new study at, at MIT that has to do with cognitive uh, focusing. And we're using it to combat pain and also to recover from depression. So would you be interested in being part of this trial? And so his brother-in-law goes, oh yeah, what's Basically represents all of the Buddhist meditation and breathing techniques with, by but taking away the religious trappings and just reporting it as if it were scientific method. And within another six months, he had recovered from his depression. Wow. Right? So John Kabat-Zinn goes to Harvard Medical School and tells him about what he did. And he thinks that there's a series of experiments that can be done. And they do that at Harvard, in which they have Buddhist monks and people practice meditation on brain scans, you know, Johnny actually looking at what happens to the human mind when it's meditating. And sure enough, what they found were curative practices for PTSD, for alcoholism. You know, it reminds me of what they found with LSD back in the 60s. You know, the same kind of experiments were being done. But this was, again, arriving at the same place with a different means through meditation and through thinking and through what he coined as mindfulness. Mm -hmm. So mindfulness comes from the academic accreditation of a technique that is as ancient as the Buddha, as the Buddhists, that is just now mainstream. You know, you can't you can't go into a bookstore now without a mindfulness yoga, mindfulness racetrack, mindfulness skiing, mindfulness is. Well, he deliberately coined the term. He made up a word that Americans could, you know, the American, the Western mind could embrace as science rather than religion. And now, you know, his book, his first book, uh, Catastrophe Living, is a bestseller, and it's about dealing with catastrophe. You know, mm. uh, I, my book just about uncertainty. John Kabat-Zinn wrote the <laughs> one about dealing with catastrophe. Right. And I really recommend it to anyone listening to this. If anyone listening to this is going through a bad period or has had something just indescribable and totally unexpected happen to them, and I, I'm not going to detail what those possibilities could be. Because if you're listening to me and it has, you know what I'm talking about. Joe Biden knows what I'm talking about. And if you've ever had something like that happen to you and you need some help and you're not talking to anybody, pick up a copy of Catastrophe Living because it was written for you. I'm gonna and put it the, works. I'm going to put the, uh, the link in the show notes for it, too. Just um, Let's go back to your book. <laughs> okay. Tell us about your book. Uh, first, where can people find it? Um, well right here they can come over to my house and get a copy <laughs> um <clears throat> no seriously you can right now because of the pandemic book distribution has been a little problematic because the bookstores all closed and they're only beginning to reopen now <clears throat> so a lot of the orders what happened was uh, this is what my publisher says this is her excuse is that is that the bookstores stopped taking orders back last summer uh, because they wanted to, they didn't know if they'd be able to clear the stock they already bought. So now they're beginning to again. The book was actually finished in December of January in terms of design. Uh, as you can see, the design by uh, Ryan Hughes. 
it's a high concept kind of design and it is fully illustrated. So you can see that each, um, say I'm, I'm, I'm kind of backwards here, but each, each piece has its own kind of visual treatment. And these are often made of, uh, that's my motorcycle. These are often made of photographs I've taken or Ryan has taken, and then he's treated them digitally so that they all conform to a kind of grainy, low res style, which to me reflects the content of what I'm trying to say. Mm -hmm. um, so it. the book is fully illustrated, full color, and uh, you can buy it on Amazon right now. And uh, you can run the, uh, the link there. Um, if you don't have a lot of money, it's $30, but that includes the shipping. If you don't have a lot of money and you want to review it, you can go to um, my, uh, the publisher's website, which is, uh, uh, what is it again? Takeadeepbreath.one.one. And you can request a PDF review copy and she'll send you one. Uh, and just keep chasing you after you've read it and you know where are you going to review it and all that. So the whole approach to publishing this book has taken a kind of post-pandemic guerrilla guerrilla marketing approach, which is why I'm very grateful to you for, for this, this platform. But the reason, I'm, the reason I'm, I'm grateful to you for this platform is not because I'm gonna sell more books. My books are gonna either sell or not. Um, two more spin-off projects from this. The reason I want people to buy my book is because I want you to read it and I want you to see that you're not alone and that everyone has been going through a big deal this last year at least and that that's what unites us. That's what brings us together because the, the good side of the virus is that it didn't look at people the way we look at each other. It didn't care what race you were, what religion you were, what state you lived in, whether you were a Democrat or Republican, a Southerner or a Northerner, right wing or left wing to you the virus is just prey and that means we're all in the same boat no. the virus, as far as the virus is concerned we're just human it wants to infect us it wants to infect us and make us contagious to others it wants to spread as wide as it can it's a force of nature it's reality not what we call reality, it's the real world intruding on the one we've constructed where people don't wear masks because they think that it, their opinion matters. Mm. Your goddamn opinion doesn't matter to the virus. You know, wear a mask or don't wear a mask. If you don't wear a mask, you're more likely to die, okay? Big deal, that's your choice, you know? Meanwhile, though, if you're, if you're getting in the way of me keeping my health, then you either need to be forced to be vaccinated, forced to wear a mask, or sent somewhere where you don't pose a threat to others. Mm. And that's just common sense. You know, this is wartime. This is, you know, we, we have a, a pandemic is a war. We don't have time for these silly libertarians, these little people going, oh yeah, I don't want to wear a mask. I don't want to be vaccinated. And, you know, they're putting, they're putting um, uh, robots, nanobots, and it's for tracking, you know. Good, good, go believe that somewhere. You want to believe that? Go believe that somewhere else. Because if you're a threat to me or my family or my loved ones, I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to, I'm going to you know, get away from you, tell other people that you're, you're a risk, and ask the government to do something in terms of getting you away from the, the healthy people, mm -hmm. the mentally healthy people.
Um, sorry, I, I, I get a little excited about that, but uh, no, that's I hope okay. I answered your question. Yeah, um, definitely did. And, and I agree. I've said it here before. I mean, the last year is a testament. There's not a single person on the planet who wasn't impacted one way, shape or form with this pandemic. But it's a um, cause for that change of perspective that you had while you were hiking. It's a, it's a, it's a way that's very really important to be able to suddenly have this kind of revealment where the stuff you've already known reconfigures so you understand it better. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think the, I think the virus has done that for everyone. If, if they'll pay attention, they'll see what really matters. And, and you know, my poem, uh, um, Living with Uncertainty, is about that. It's about remembering what's real as opposed to what you've been told is told is important. It's true. I mean, I think because you're right, we know innately this stuff, but we forget, you know, it's really easy to get lost in in a lot of different stuff, new programming, um, the go, 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 everybody else's opinion, that we step into the chaos almost. Mm -hmm. And we just, we forget that we already know. Cause you're right. Do you want me to read you something? Would you like me to read you that poem? Yeah, please. I actually, I have a, my copy up and I was gonna pull up what one of my favorites was, but please go ahead. I'll read your favorite too, but the one I was just talking about, I think says what I said in a long-winded way, much more concisely. And that's kind of like, you know, I'm very talkative, but I'm trying to distill my words down. And this, I'll tell you this, this spread here, that photograph that was treated by Ryan, I took, that's a photograph of a painting. The painting is hanging in Dr. Pfeiffer's uh, office, who was the head of the Moderna trial. He was the head of the Moderna trial. And I was waiting for him to come in to examine me after getting the first vaccine. And I saw this painting, if you can see it, this mm -hmm. painting here. Um, and I took a picture of it because it's a painting, a picture within a picture. And then Ryan put the kind of the thread. And this was his interpretation of the poem, Living with Uncertainty, which is the subtitle to my book, and it goes like this. What if we thought of this uncertainty as Jews consider our Sabbath? Stop buying and selling, stop working. Give up trying to make the world better than it is. Instead, sing, dance, pray, Write songs and recite poetry. Paint the pictures from your eyes. Walk amongst the leaves and the stars. Touch only those to whom you have committed your life. Sit down. And when your mind and body have become still, reach out with your heart. Know that we are connected in ways that are both terrifying and beautiful. No one can deny that now. Do not reach out with your hands. Reach out with your heart. Reach out with your words. Reach out with all the curled tendrils of compassion that connect us invisibly to where we cannot touch each other. Mm. And that is intentioned, intentional to bring solace, to give comfort, to, um, to those of us living with uncertainty. And, you know, I could save you the price of the book 
dear listeners or viewers, I'll tell you what the answer is to living with uncertainty. How do we live with uncertainty? We make our peace with it. We come to terms with it because it's truer than the world that we've been fed. It is, it is more true that life is unpredictable, that you do not know what is gonna happen next, no matter how much you think probably you do, and no matter how much events and your memory of events supports the probability of your knowing what happens next. The fact is that every moment is unique and we are almost phased between moments. There's the moment we're in, and then there's the next moment we're in anticipation of. But we do not know for sure what's going to happen. And as I say, and take a deep breath, the best way to survive is to be poised absolutely still, like a still cat. Have you ever seen a cat just absolutely still, but ready? ready for whatever happens next. Whatever direction it comes in, the cat is there. And to do that, the cat has to be absolutely calm, absolutely still, to be ready for what happens next. Absolutely. It's so much easier to make those decisions, you know, to pivot, you know, or to, to react, not react, but put yourself in act. motion to act when you are in that calm place where you can think through and but i love that you mentioned it's about acceptance um because we could resist it and fight it all we want but you're right the uncertainty doesn't go away no no life is uncertain live, but you can come to terms with it yes you can let the truth of uncertainty and unpredictability none of us know the moment we're going to die if we did, we'd be doing something to avoid it, wouldn't we? So yeah. none of us know. The, the, the most defining thing that will happen to us in our lives, our deaths, is unpredictable. <clears throat> we cannot predict it. We hope. But sometimes we hope so hard that we mistake our hopes for reality. Yeah. And, we're not, and we stop paying attention. You know, the only thing the universe asks of us, the existence, the entire universe gives us this reality that we're in. And the only thing it asks in return is that we pay attention. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Igor, thank you so much for joining us today on the Power to Pivot podcast. I Congratulations. Again, the book is thank beautiful. Um, everybody can pick it up, take a deep breath, living with uncertainty on Amazon and your website, take That's a deep right. breath, take a deep dot breath one. Dot one, or O-N-E. If people want to connect with you, what's the best way for people to reach you? I, I, um, I have finished writing this book and now the second equally arduous task of marketing and telling people about my book. So right now I plan for that. Right now I have my email address open, which you can get a hold of me at realpoetrytherapy at gmail.com. Okay. One word, realpoetrytherapy at gmail.com. I'm doing is an article that was originally published by the um, University of Michigan, their psychology department, on a brief history of poetry therapy uh, called Towards an Uncommon Sense. And poetry therapy has been going since the time of, uh, well, it was Walt Whitman on the battlefields of the Civil War, who used to, without any morphine, he used to, for fallen soldiers, he would read, recite to them. He would recite them 
uh, passages to relieve them, to give them. Uh, so there was a movement that started of poetry therapists. And I've written, my, I have an approach and I've written a history of it as an appendix in this book. So I use the email realpoetrytherapy at gmail.com. If you just want to ask me, I can send you a copy of the article, ask me any questions. I really do believe that poetry is therapeutic, it's curative, and it is a fantastic tool at the right time, you know, the, uh, the right tool at the right time for pe people to overcome their uncertainty, their anxiety about uncertainty, their, their, the, the, their drinking, their, you know, the things that we're doing to cope, you're not alone. And poetry is a way of refocusing yourself and, and understanding the difference between what is real, what is important, and what you've been fed. And I think that, you know, we try to speak the truth. Like I said in my intro, the job of a poet is not just to speak truth, but to remind people what it tastes and smells like. Oh, and that's what I'm trying to do, Elizabeth. So thank you very much for giving me this opportunity. Oh my gosh, thank you for joining us today. Um, make sure everybody to check out a copy of the book, go grab it on Amazon, reach out to Igor. Igor, thank you so much. We can't wait to see as things continue to unfold for you. Please keep us posted so we can update everybody. I will. I will. And thank you once again. Yeah, of course. We'll wrap up the episode like we do with every other. You are never stuck. You are never lost. And you are never alone. At any given moment, you can use your power to pivot, make a new choice, and start again. And I will see you all on the next episode. Bye, everybody. Hey guys, it's Liz here from March 4th Media Company. One of the biggest lessons I have ever learned is it is difficult to get what you truly want when you're defining life and your standards by everyone else's definitions. That got me nowhere. I spent so much time, effort, and energy looking around me for answers that I forgot that I had everything I needed right inside of me. What I did lack was a guide to find my way to those answers. And that is exactly what I'm offering you in my new workbook, Connect You, A Guide to Your Authentic Life. This is a workbook that I have written to provide you with a roadmap to connect you with the innermost pieces that make you unique, authentic, and amazing, helping you to tap into the power and possibility within you. It's filled with lessons, activities, content, meditations that are going to guide you to help you learn how to honor your own definitions of success, set boundaries and goals that feel really good to you, and understand your intuition and how to trust it. Take the trip. Connect You, a guide to your authentic life is available on Amazon and Barnes & Noble, or reach out to me online on Instagram, Facebook, or over at marchforthmediacompany.com to grab your copy. Thank you so much to Igor Goldkind, author of Take a Deep Breath, Living with Uncertainty, for joining me today on the Power to Pivot podcast. I'm so grateful and honored that you were here to share your work with us. Guys, make sure you check him out on social media. We'll post all of the social media links in our show notes as well as a link for where you can pick up a copy of the book. And let's continue the conversation over on social media and tell us what your biggest takeaway from the episode was. You can find us over on our website, marchforthmediacompany.com, as well as Marchforth Media Co. over on Instagram and Facebook. 
and I cannot wait to hear from you. Remember, you are never stuck. You are never lost. You are never alone. At any given moment, you can use your power to pivot, make a new choice, and start again. And I will see you on the next episode. Take care.